When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And what's up? Welcome in GC Live Wednesday episode of the show. He is Chris. I am Wes. Welcome in. We are, of course, brought to you by our good friend Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, as we are every single show. Right above my head, you see it, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. As we tell you every day, if you're in the market for a new home or maybe you just want to refinance, find out maybe a way you can save some money, then go spend $10 a month on GamecockCentral.com. Clint is your guy for that. Give him a shout. Uh, the branch manager of the Columbia Mortgage Network, 71597 is that NMLS number. And uh, again, 803-771-6933. Is the number? By the way, uh, I, I do. I did notice. I was looking at Clint's site the other day when I didn't have my graphics. Clint does have an updated picture on there, so people, much like they give you, Chris, a little bit of hell about your hair. Sometimes they uh, they give Clint uh, some haircut uh, flack as well. So we're gonna we're gonna have to update the old the old Clint photo there. I honestly think that photo is from I don't know, like ten years ago. So. Uh, sorry, Clint. We love you, man. We're going to get the photo updated and upgraded uh, moving forward. Welcome in again. Uh, Wednesday show. I see some folks already in the chat room. Hope you are well. Uh, we are rolling on towards this Wednesday nooner with Tennessee for the Gamecocks. Dude, doesn't it seem like once the season gets here, it's just like, it's like, boom, it just, it just rolls. And uh, believe it or not, after Saturday, it's going to be halfway through. South Carolina will be halfway through their season. Obviously, they still have a a bye week in there, and uh, you know South Carolina is hoping they'll they'll have a bowl game in the mix as well too. But uh, as far as the the schedule goes, South Carolina will be six games into a twelve game schedule, and uh, that is hard to believe. Uh, earlier today, we had obviously coordinators as they do every single week: Mark Satterfield, Clayton White, talking about really their their units as a whole, and then talking a bit about this upcoming Tennessee matchup. And then at, at some point on the show, we'll also be joined by Troy Williamson. Again, that a pre-recorded interview that I did yesterday, but uh, we're going to play that for you. It's about 15 minutes of Troy talking a little bit about his time at South Carolina, and then, of course, uh, talking uh, about this current South Carolina team. You know, dude, Troy, Troy was playing when I was at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, same for you. And I just remember thinking, this is the fastest human being I've ever seen in my life in person, at, you know, at the time. He, you know, a lot of these speed guys sort of uh, are very protective of their speed. Like, you know, I, you know, nobody could ever beat me in a race type thing. Troy gave an interesting answer because I asked him, I was waiting on him to be like, yeah, no, nobody ever beat me. And I asked him if he's ever been, you know, against some guys that, that could beat him in a race. And. He admitted that there were a couple of guys who have gotten him in the past. Wow. So 
I, I thought that was interesting. I also asked him. Uh, he he had an he has an interesting story. Some some of you will not uh, will not care about this because I know we have a lot of fans on here who halts period is a little bit before their their fanhood. But for people like us who were following it back then, man, do you remember when there's a little bit? I, I don't and I don't know how much of this was public and how much of it wasn't. Troy talked about it when Demetrius Summers got the first carry of game one of his career instead of Kenny Irons. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, of course, Kenny Irons ends up transferring. And um, there is a little in-house, in-locker, in-locker room issue with that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Troy talks about that in the interview. And uh, he also talks about his meeting with Steve Spurrier when South Carolina was transitioning from Holtz to Spurrier and Troy made the decision to go ahead and, and sign up for the NFL draft. Can you imagine Troy Williamson on one side of the field, Sidney Rice lining up on the other um, in Steve Spurrier's first 2005 offense? That would have been fun, man. It would have been. And, and I remember, you know, people talking about that um, and, and people talking about, remember, Sidney Rice left as a redshirt sophomore after that year. And a lot of people talking about what if he would have come back, you know, some of the guys that he would have been paired with. But look, Troy, at the end of the day, man, you know, we, we you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but he did well for himself with that decision. You know, you see some guys leave early and they don't get picked as high. He was the seventh overall pick to the Minnesota Vikings that year. So it's hard to go much higher than that. So, you know, he did, did pretty well for himself on that first contract and that decision. But, uh, man, I have, I have a lot of memories of watching Troy. Same thing, played for the Gamecocks when I went to school there at South Carolina 2 West. And um, there are a couple plays that stand out. Do you remember when you kind of mentioned in passing the other week how Lou Holtz, for all the quarterback draw and all those different things, would like the slant? off of like the one yard line. Troy, of course, housed the one against Virginia, 99 yards on the little slant pattern. I always think one of the memories that's actually etched in my mind of a South Carolina loss early was that that uh, 2005, I guess it was, game against Georgia. 2004. 2004 game, I'm sorry, against Georgia. Five was Spurrier's first year. The 2004 game, South Carolina's up 16 to nothing at halftime. They lose 20 to 16, but – Two huge plays in that game. Coe Simpson, one of the more impressive interceptions I've ever seen. Pick six off of David Green, who, by the way, is good friends with David Pollock. Not sure if you've ever heard that. Um, and also, Troy Williamson had a a great, like, he had like a, I think it was on kind of a slant, and he spun around a guy and ended up getting in the end zone. That was a huge play in that game, and they kind of kind of gave it away at the end there. But that's there are several Troy Williamson memories, and man, the dude, the dude could fly. There's no doubt. Well, I'm happy to tell you, Chris. Uh, I guess we've been working together too long because we we're on the same wavelength. We talked about that very play, that very thing. The fact that um, my man made play from like he has to have the record for most like 98, 99 yard plays in South Carolina history. And I was trying to think, and it was on, it was on, uh, it was on the fly, so I didn't want to say it. There was another play. Do you remember that Ole Miss game that um, that South Carolina was down by, I think, three scores, and they scored three late touchdowns uh, to cut it to 
with I think it was within three or so at Ole Miss, and somebody had a 98 or 99 yarder where it was on a go ball. And I couldn't remember if that was Troy or maybe a Matthew Thomas, or I, I couldn't remember who made that play, uh, if that was Troy as well, but it was uh, Dondrell drop, dropped one directly in there. Um, let's see. Beckham is saying Troy hit a play for, for 98 at Ole Miss. So that, that's got to be the play I'm, I'm thinking of. But I, I, remember, I remember that game, dude, because I took the SAT the day of that game. Um, so that would have been like 2002 or 2003. Um, I took the SAT, and I, I remember him hitting that play. I remember watching that game actually at my late grandma's house uh, because I sprinted from the SAT to go to go watch the game. Um, and, and South Carolina got destroyed for about three quarters, came roaring back, but I think uh, missed the two-point conversion that would have given him a chance to, um, to be within one score there at the end. Um, Anyway, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk to Troy about that, how he had a knack for making those plays. But that what, dude, as 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 conservative as Holtz was, he loved to throw the ball from the one. And sometimes it was that slant, and sometimes it was just a go ball because I think he saw it as a punt, basically. Like if you the other team picks it off, it's a punt. But with a guy like Troy, may, maybe he gets behind the defense and and you and you completely change. The game, I, I think, if you now the the caveat there is you you have to get the ball out fast, right? Like it just has to be a snap. I remember on those plays they would snap it and it's just go. You know, it's not there is no um, deep play action. Step up in the pocket. You know, give yourself a chance to get a safety. I, I think some of those teams maybe saw that as a safer play than running the football from there because if you get hit by a TFL, then you know, you, you have a safety. So, anyway, um, other news today. How about this, Chris? Stefan Gilmore, officially a Carolina Panther now. Yeah. Uh, it was reported earlier today that he was going to be released by the Patriots. Um, now it appears the Patriots will get something back. It's, a, it's officially a trade. I don't even know enough about the NFL to know the dynamics of how that works, if they were, they were releasing him, but now it, it is a trade. And – I believe I, I read Chris that the Patriots just get a third or a sixth round pick uh, for twenty twenty three. Yeah, Is that right. So um, right. obviously we know another Gamecock, JC Horn, uh, issue with his foot out for a long time. We'll see how long. But Panthers needed cornerback help. They already traded um, for the young kid from the the Jaguars that's coming in. But you get a veteran; he gets to come home. I know that uh, Stefan was still living in that area, obviously in the off season. So awesome news for him, man, to get to come back. That That's essentially home. I mean, obviously Rock Hill right across the border from Charlotte. So uh, happy for him, man. I, I got to think that's probably one of the, the better landing spots for him as far as just it, it working out for the, even just like the non-football reasons. Yeah, it, it made way too much sense. Um, you know, the Panthers did sign, like you said, C.J. Henderson from Florida, a former first-round pick. Um, but they've been banged up in the secondary. Uh, aside from J.C., they're they've been missing um, some other guys, and so they're looking for more stability there. And I mean, this was, I mean, for you know, apparently Gilmore and the Patriots cannot come to an agreement on a long-term contract, so they were going to release him. So 
for them. They get a sixth round pick in 2023. Who knows, you know, what comes of that? Not a great pick, but you get something for a guy you're going to release. And the Panthers get a guy that's a hometown guy that has been at times in the NFL, the best corner in the game, arguably. Um, will, will he play up to that level in the future? We'll see, right? He's He's been injured uh, so far this season for the Patriots, but going to be back in the fold. Makes way too much sense because of the geographic reasons, obviously, but also, you know, the fact that they need help and he's available and a really talented player. I, I remember, Wes, uh, I went to a Panthers game several years ago. I guess this is when Devontae Holloman and Gilmore, it was either when they were about to go to South Carolina or maybe they were in like their freshman year at South Carolina. And I randomly ran into them walking to the game and just kind of thought that was neat to see those guys. Of course, both Devontae from Charlotte ended up playing at South Point, Rock Hill, right across the border. And, and uh, you know, Stefan played for South Point. So now that, that place where he, uh, you know, watched games growing up, he will get to actually play in that stadium. So as a Panthers fan, I'm happy about it. Happy for Stefan. I'll revise my prediction. Instead of just three straight Super Bowls for the Panthers, it will now be five. Um, five straight. I mean, you don't want to go too overboard, Wes. Yeah, true, true. Five five it is. Uh, by the way, Beckham uh, corrects himself and corrects me. It was Matthew Thomas on the 98-yarder. I knew it was one of them. It was either uh, Matthew Thomas or Troy. And Mark says that NFL teams had – thanks for clearing that up, Mark. NFL teams had until four today to make a trade for Gilmore. So if you're the Panthers, essentially you know he's about to be on the open market. He could be picked up by anyone. You go ahead and say, we're going to give up this to go ahead and guarantee, I, I guess, that that we're going to get Gilmore is how is why they did that. Hey, this this Panthers organization right now under Dave Tepper, dude, they're they're kind of aggressive. Like I, I like it. They uh they, they aren't like let's sit back, let's, you know, well, oh, this isn't the year. Um yeah. they they go for it. And I, I respect that. Mark says, can we beat Tennessee? Probably not. Disagree, Mark. Can South Carolina beat Tennessee? Absolutely. You know, I, South Carolina can beat Tennessee. I don't even think that's the, the question. Um, the question, Mark, is will South Carolina beat Tennessee? And as Chris and I try to relay every single week, how, how, many, times, how many times would Tennessee beat South Carolina if they played 10 times? Or how many times would South Carolina beat Tennessee if they, they played 10 times? That is the question. And then the actual game depends on all these other little variables that play out based on what we know about the two teams. You know, I look back at the Kentucky game, Chris, and, you know, we sort of said going in, I don't know what we said, were were they a six or a seven, like Kentucky would win six or seven um, out of ten? But you look at how it played out and the things that South Carolina needed to happen in order to win that game, all those things happened. Um, so I don't even really feel bad about the prediction. I think we both sort of went back and forth and ended up kind of going with the homer picks that South Carolina would win the game. But it played out the way it needed to for South Carolina to go win the game. If you'd have told me their defense would have done what they did against Kentucky, I'd have felt pretty good about that pick. So South Carolina, Tennessee, I don't think it's quite as good – of a matchup for the Gamecocks. Um, now, some 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 of the view of this game 
will be skewed, I believe, Chris, by the fact that Tennessee scored so many points against Missouri this past week. Anytime you you score 62 points and first-year head coach, you're a team that's kind of struggled at times. They they lost to Pitt, a Pitt team that ends up, you know, I think is actually pretty solid. Um, now, now you're scoring 62 points on the road in the SEC. People are going to take notice. Now, some of that is driven by the fact that Missouri's defense right now has major problems. And, you know, I even wonder, Chris, from a schematic standpoint, this is a Missouri defense that is more of a – got an NFL guy coming in. He was sort of uh, picked – handpicked by Eli Drinkwitz to come run the defense. He was going up against a Tennessee scheme that's not really one you see a ton in the NFL. This is a very college – uh, college-esque scheme. Now they fire their defensive line coach. They're, they're, they're just issues at Missouri. That's not to say Tennessee's offense isn't going to give South Carolina some issues as well. I believe it will. But, I, you know, I don't think we need to sit here and say, well, Tennessee's going to score 50-something points, you know, in, in this game either. I, I think the, the truth, as it almost always is in football, probably lies somewhere – in 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 between there, yeah, and look, yeah, they scored what sixty two against Missouri. As someone told me out in Missouri, they could have scored eighty probably if they wanted, and kind of took took their foot off the gas. It was a horrific performance by Missouri, and if you haven't gone through and watched that game, and I, I don't even want to know say it's entertaining, but it if it's interesting for sure. If you want to go back, go back and watch the tape for that game, which I did because I wanted to see kind of what happened on the Missouri end. What was Tennessee doing offensively? There are major issues. And I'll go back to this point. Everybody thinks about Tennessee and Josh Heupel and, and throwing the ball all over the place. And they do. They like to throw it short. They take deep shots. But this team wants to run the ball. They run it at the highest rate in the conference. Tyon Evans, Hartsville native, you know, he had a field day you know, against Missouri, and it was just – there was opening after opening. And I think th- there are a couple things really to look at here, Wes, when you start really breaking down and getting more in-depth in the matchup of South Carolina's defense against Tennessee's offense. There are two things. Number one, South Carolina, as we know, has been extremely reliant on turnovers. Tennessee has not turned over the ball a lot so far this year. Kentucky game, we something you mentioned, Wes, Kentucky has put the ball on the ground. Jeff Drummond from Cats Illustrated noted they put the ball on the ground a good bit. They're trying to correct that. Well, we saw that in the South Carolina game. as one reason that game was so close and ended up being a six-point margin. Kentucky, on the other hand, or Tennessee, rather, on the other hand, they have not done that as much. Let me go ahead and give our Gamecock Russ stat of the week, Wes. And this how, many, is- how many stats of the week are we going to have? This this one, though, we had to make an exception for because it is from Gamecock Russ himself, right? Okay. So he posted this on Twitter earlier, and, and I felt we had to share it. South Carolina's defense has nine interceptions on 142 attempts. Tennessee quarterbacks have thrown only one interception on 139 attempts. So big gap there, right? South say, that again for, uh, say that again for effect and because my brain uh, didn't process it. <laughs> so, South Carolina's defense has nine interceptions on 142 attempts. 
Tennessee's quarterbacks offensively have thrown just one interception on 139 attempts. So attempts, only three difference interceptions, eight difference, right? South Carolina also hasn't intercepted a pass in Knoxville since 2015. And the Gamecocks haven't intercepted a pass off the Vols since 2016 when they picked off Josh Dobbs twice. So great stats. Gamecock Russ digging deep on those. So the greater point, the more broad point of all this, Wes, is we have talked about South Carolina being over the relying on turnovers. I think they'll need it again Saturday, right? They're going to have to score. They need some turnovers. Can they do it? Secondly, to get another defensive point, go back and look at some of the things that have been happening against Kentucky. A lot of the things that happened against Troy defensively, those were masked by turnovers or maybe they ended up getting a stop. There were some very concerning things if you go back and watch that Tennessee in the run game particularly I think can exploit if South Carolina doesn't get it cleaned up. And then everyone around here will have to hear about Tyon Evans, uh, Hartsville High School graduate who went to JUCO, was placed by South Carolina, signed with Tennessee, had a big week last week, and will be, I imagine, out for blood against South Carolina uh, this coming weekend. So that, that'll be an interesting storyline and something if Tennessee has success on the ground that you're going to hear a ton about. So, yeah, man, I and by the way, appreciate you, Gamecock Russ. By the way, so for those – who are sort of late joiners of the show and haven't been here since the beginning. Gamecock Russ, I would say, was the initial champion of GC Live as far as helping uh, grow the show, share it on social. One of the most positive, biggest Gamecock fans you'll ever meet. Game Gamecock Russ, I believe, if I'm correct, now works third shift, so he is sleeping during the show. Let me just say this. Gamecock Russ, I hope he still listens to the podcast after the fact. I've been told that he does. Shout out Gamecock Russ, first of all. Second of all, we need to know, does Gamecock Russ get to any South Carolina football games in person? I know he doesn't live in state. I think he actually lives in Tennessee. Yep. So, first of all, we need to know, Russ, hit me on Twitter. Do you get to any games? Do you get to Columbia? And second of all, if he's not planning to get any games, I know we're going to have a Gamecock Central tailgate at some point again. So let's get Gamecock Russ to Columbia for a game. So hit me on Twitter, Gamecock Russ. If you can get here, the ticket is on me. You and a friend, we're going to send Gamecock Russ to a game if he's not planning to already, if he doesn't have tickets already. Hit me up. We're sending Gamecock Russ. I just made this decision on the fly. It's only right. Sometimes you're just you just have it in your head. This is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. We're getting Gamecock Russ to a Gamecock football game, and then um, and if somebody else on here wants to donate and get the plane ticket, I'm sure he'd love that as well. Ooh. I got his I got his tickets into the game though. You and a friend, Gamecock Russ, we got you, man. We're gonna send you in a game. Hit me up. Uh, it's only right. But to his point, dude, I remember us talking about this last year going into the game that South Carolina had not turned Tennessee over as far as interception goes in um since uh you know since 2016. Yeah, yeah. That is that that's crazy to me. As a crazy stat, um I'm trying 
And I, you know what? The, the funny thing is, last year was such a blur. I was sitting here trying to think back at how last year's South Carolina-Tennessee game went. And for a moment, it was kind of deleted from my brain, I think. that I remember, obviously, pretty close game. That was actually the opener for both teams after the late start SEC-only schedule, obviously. I go back to two years ago at Knoxville. Dude, what, what an ugly game for South Carolina. You go into the half feeling – Probably really good if you're a South Carolina fan. You get the big, beautiful play from Brian Edwards, one-hander down at the goal line. But then the thing I remember about this game, dude, is just special teams letting South Carolina down. Um, You know, these are two teams that are sort of jockeying for position in the middle of the SEC East as far as big picture as programs. And um, they've played – they've really played some games where – both sides like I like I look at that game and I'm like man that was an ugly day for South Carolina I go back to that 2016 game the one you're talking about where Dobbs threw two interceptions that was the first marquee win of the Muschamp era that was a huge win for South Carolina at the time and I would say Tennessee fans are probably looking at that like this is a very ugly game for for our program so I look at this game in recent years and there have been some ugly moments on like on either side, and I'm going to have to – I need to check this before I say it myself, but I believe these teams are like 8-8 and against each other in the last 16. I don't know where I read that, but it's been pretty even. Now, if you look at individual games, Chris, there have been some uneven games, but overall uh, the records have, have been pretty equal. Yes, and it's, it ends up being kind of a measuring stick game. Going back to that 2016 game, that was a situation with Tennessee. I remember the vitriol coming out of Knoxville after they lost that game, right? First year, you know, head coach of Will Muschamp coming in. Will Muschamp was undefeated against Tennessee at that time in his career. He kind of liked beating Tennessee, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And um, that ended up being a big win for them. I think that Tennessee team at the time was ranked. Didn't finish that way, I don't believe, but they are ranked. But, yeah, South Carolina, you know, you think back to some of the recent games, just a lot of mistakes and brand-new coaching staff, right, brand-new year. Same thing with Tennessee, a first-year coaching staff, a brand-new year. You know, so it's – um, I don't know. It, it, it There's – you kind of throw all that out the window except for this fact. This has been a pretty evenly matched series over the last few years, and I really think that could continue. You don't go into this game saying – Oh, one team is just head and shoulders above the other, right? I mean, you you could see – what I could see is this This is probably a close game. If it goes a little bit more lopsided in one direction, I would see it being Tennessee, right, because of their ability to score on offense. And if South Carolina has gets out of sorts defensively, that can kind of snowball, and you, Missouri saw that. Not that it would get that bad, right, But but it can happen. I mentioned it being evenly matched, Wes. I did send you a stat earlier. This is not a game cut Russ stat, but you remember the ESPN FPI that we've cited on the show. It is pretty favorable to Tennessee um, on that one. I'll have to pull it up to make sure, but Tennessee was favored something like what it didn't. It was seventy eight point eight percent. The ESPN FPI. So. Not sure how much of that is because of some statistical anomaly that was thrown in there because of the Missouri game. But we do know, looking at Tennessee's games this season, wasn't just Missouri, they can score. 
And that's, you know, a little bit scary. That FBI jumped after this past week. I know that. Mm -hmm. Tennessee was already favored by FBI. Well, I remember, I don't remember the exact number, though. It was not near as high, if I remember correctly, as that one was. By the way, you see the little Primal Gourmet thing right below Chris's head. Any comment we we uh, pull up on the show is a uh, Primal Gourmet uh, chat line uh, officially. And we're going let, to – let's go on out to Troy Williamson, by the way, Chris. And because we haven't mentioned Primal, as I've had other comments, uh, we'll just have Troy as our Primal Gourmet guest of the day. How about that? Um, also, anybody – let's see. I've, I've posted several comments from the show. Anybody who's – comment gets posted on the primal gourmet chat line is entered into a drawing to um, get a free meal from primal gourmet so that's a an advantage for you for uh, and an appreciation from us for you uh, listening or watching the show all right so again we were joined earlier i actually recorded this yesterday with former gamecock wide receiver from uh, silver bluff high school it is troy williamson we're gonna go out to him right now Gamecock wide receiver troy williamson uh, Troy, uh, welcome in, man. Your debut on the show. We appreciate you uh, taking the time today, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate you guys for having me. Yeah, so, uh, Troy, obviously, um, you know, I was chatting with you a little bit before we started recording, man. Um, want to talk a little bit about your, your current fanhood, your thoughts on the team. But, obviously, also, we want to go back to uh, to your time at South Carolina. Um, you played for Lou Holtz. Uh, you were right there sort of, I believe, at the end of the Holtz era when it was about to transition to the Spurrier right. era. Um, you got drafted in the NFL. And um, I always ask guys when we have them on, uh, one of my, my first questions has got to be, what, what was your finest memory at South Carolina? What was your favorite memory? Were, were there Was there anything specifically or a few different things that you just look back on, either on or off the field, that stands out to you the most, man? One of the ones I can say that I look back on was – uh, the situation we had when we had Demetrius Summers coming in mm-hmm. and we already had uh, Kenny Irons on the team and Kenny Irons and I were uh, good friends. So, and me and Coach Holtz had a falling out about that whole situation. Uh, he called up practice and he was asked that whole team, uh, did anybody have a problem with, you know, with Kenny not starting no more and Demetrius, you know, starting and, I was the only one that stood up before Before then. Everybody was talking about how they had an issue with it. So he asked me, and I told him, yeah, I, I got an issue with it. You know, Kenny worked hard. Kenny, he worked hard all offseason. And just to bring somebody in uh, to start, you know, just because he was the number one running back in the country at the time, uh, you know, didn't really mean uh, – I mean, it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But ever since then, ever since I stood up for Kenny and myself, you know, Coach Holt held me to this higher standard. Uh, and, you know, I, I can remember times, you know, me going to catch a deep ball. He would come pick me up in the golf cart. Uh, he would just ask questions about, you know, do I think receivers should run out to practice? Uh, you know, just different things. Like he held me to a, a higher standard, you know, with me standing up for myself. And so so to be clear, when, when y'all had this, uh, this meeting, was that uh, – or when he asked the team that, was that um, before it, it had happened or this was like after – because I remember uh, Summers did start that first game of his freshman year. Um, was this leading into that game, or this was like after it happened, a bunch of guys were having an issue that it that it did happen. The issue was that it was it was it had already happened, so we had a, uh-huh. we had an issue with it. And then uh, that's when Coach Holtz called everybody up for practice and was saying, you know, does anybody have an issue with it? So I and I, me thinking, you know, 
I, I ain't going to be the only one stand up. I was the only one that stood up at that time. I mean, because me and Kenny, we still keep in contact now. So that was my guy. Like, we were roommates. So, I mean, I, I only thought it was right to be able to do that. So, I, I know it was always sort of rumored that um, it was kind of promised, the, the first carry, the first start, and the recruiting process. What Was that um, – I mean, was that well-known within the team? Was that kind of a fact, or was that assumed within the team that that was the case? I know it was assumed that, that that's what it was. Uh, I think we knew we knew that, and no matter how hard any of the other running backs worked, he was going to be able to get that uh, just the start and whatever it was during the season. So, And then, obviously, down the line, Kenny ends up transferring and right. then playing, you know, having a very, very good career at, at Auburn. Um, right I agree yeah um so uh what, what what was it like playing for Lou Holtz I know that's like an open-ended uh uh maybe scary question but what, what was it like you know he was sort of at the end of his career obviously he's he's had all this success and um you know but, but what was it like just a day-to-day everybody else saw the the outward stuff what was it like day-to-day playing for, for Lou Holtz the thing with it is that you never knew what you was going to get um uh, when it comes to Coach Holtz, uh, I never really had an issue with him outside of the Kenny Irons thing. So, like, we was always good. He gave me my opportunity to, to play early. Uh, I remember when we lost to Georgia the week before. So he gave me the opportunity. He said he was going to start some younger guys. And ever since then, you know, I played. So I always had the utmost respect for him. Back when I was in high school, too, I had a, I had a hard-nosed coach, too. So that's why them, them type of coaches never really rubbed me the wrong way. It always thought of being as – they're being hard on you because they want you to, to try to get the best out of you. So that's how I looked at it. I, I remember, man, you, you had a knack for um, like 98 and 99 yard touchdowns. It seemed like, I, I yeah. don't know. I don't know how many of those you had in your career, but I, I, I remember one of those Georgia games, I think it was Oh four. Um, you, you caught a little slant and you, the, you sort of, the guy almost slung you and you yeah. spun around and took it to the house. You had a couple of other long plays. Um I don't know if you remember how many of those you had, but what did, did I don't I don't know what was it about when South Carolina was backed up? It seemed like you ended up making a, a big play several times in your career at South Carolina. I mean, only only thing I needed was just the opportunity. Uh, Coach Host would tell me uh, before just about every game that I'm gonna get five or six opportunities a game. So make do with what you get. We was a running team, and we knew that. I mean, and I knew I went to get I, I'll get some options, you know, some reverses and stuff like that. But is the passing game was, you know, just being able just to have the opportunities to to make the plays and and be able to showcase what kind of talent I had. Who were some of your other teammates? I know you said you were you were tight with Kenny, but who were some of the other guys you played with, um, either that you were most close with or that you were just most impressed with? Like some guys, you were just like, man, this this was a dude uh, that you played with in, in your time. One of the guys that I know is uh, Faison. Uh, he was uh, he was a he was a muscle small guy, mm-hmm. but can come downhill and and put some fear in some people. Corey Jenkins is another one, a guy that you move from quarterback to linebacker or safety and be able to make some plays in the Clemson game. I remember he was he was cleaning some guys up, uh, you know, making them fumble. And that's the week before he was playing quarterback. I mean, quarterback. So it was, those those type of guys really really impressed me. I know that um, Eric Kimry has always said, you know, Eric Kimry current tight ends coach at South Carolina, but had the fade in podcast. He always said on, on this podcast that Corey Jenkins was like the best pure athlete to ever come out of the Columbia area, as far right. as just being able to do 
any, anything. I mean, was that was that pretty right. obvious uh, being around him on a day to day basis? Yeah, I mean, you could tell, man. I mean, because also I think he was a baseball player, if I'm not mistaken. So I mean, he he was a guy that can do do it all, and you could see it when he when he played on the football field. So I I always wondered you um so you were there right at the end of the Holtz era, mm-hmm. and you left after your junior year, right? And you went and yeah. you got drafted. You got drafted I, highly. Um, mm-hmm. Was there any part of you thinking at the time about because Spurrier was about to come in the next year, right? Right. Was there any part of you that was thinking, man? I could stick around and play in this Spurrier, like, you know, a little bit more of a pass-based offense, a little more balance. Did, did that cross your mind at all? What, what all went I mean, into your decision? Spurrier had to sit down, and he was telling me, you know, you can be a first-round pick or you can be the number one pick overall So if you, if you stay. But I knew I had the opportunity to be a top 15 pick at the time, and I didn't want nothing to hinder me from that because coming back barring injury, barring not having the season that everybody thought I would have, you know, that can that – can, you know, you know, that can throw stuff off. But I always go back to uh, just the type of offense I played in at Carolina with Lou Holtz. And if I would have played in the Spurrier offense, no doubt I would have probably doubled the, the stats that I had. Uh, 800 and something yards. I probably could have had 16, 1700 yards at Carolina uh, and barring probably all the records they, they got at Carolina. So, but I, um, I, I feel like I made the right decision at the time and, and I only can only, you know, could have done what Lou Holstrom gave me the opportunity to do. Yeah, because it, it would have been interesting. You would have been lining up opposite of Sydney, so right. there, there would be no double teaming if you know teams are having to account for for both of you guys. I agree. I agree. Um, so you, you know, you, you go to the NFL. What what was that experience like for you, man? I, I know, um, obviously. You know, yeah, go ahead. You know it. The NFL. You know, it's it's, it's exciting. Um, but I really, I can really, what I told anybody else or anybody else I do an interview with, it was more of my mental state that I wasn't ready for that type of, 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 how would I put it? I wasn't ready for that type of stage um, mentally. I had all the physical attributes and I beat myself up, you know, by listening to the media and to listening to, you know, other coaches and that really beat me up mentally and barring knowing that I was already dealing with some other stuff internally when it comes to kind of a grandma that passed and I dealing with my, uh, you know, depression and anxiety and different things and all that kind of just boiled over into me not being able to perform the way I wanted to perform. And, uh, but would I do it any different? Probably not. Uh, because I, I feel like it still put me in a position to be where I am today and to be able to speak out on certain things and uh, realize uh, and let other people know, you know, what to be ready for when that time comes when I'm being drafted. Well, and uh, speak, speaking of that, would, would you like to, um, with, with, you know, being on our platform right now, what, what, what are you up to these days? And is there anything uh, from your past that you learned that you would, that you would want to speak on right now? I know the biggest thing is uh, what I, what I do right now, I do a lot of, uh, or try to, uh, which I stepped back because I'm, uh, as far as motivational speaking, uh, kind of stepped back trying to deal with my, you know, my mental and uh, with the anxiety and depression and stuff. So I kind of stepped back from doing that. And I was, I was blessed to be able to be put in a position to, to where I can make all of my kids games and, uh, you know, sit home and get myself right. Uh, and the biggest thing I, I would tell anybody that's going to be put in a position of 
you know, being a, a top pick, a first pick, uh, first round pick or whatever it may be is to make sure that you get yourself right mentally. And because you already have the physical attributes, you wouldn't, there's no way you'll be drafted where you was drafted or, or being drafted period is, is uh, if you didn't have the talent, the talent is going to be there. The biggest thing is getting yourself right mentally. That's, you know, putting the right person around you, talking to a therapist or whatever it may be to get you right. Uh, that's what you need to do. Definitely, man. And, uh, and good words of advice there for anybody. You don't have to be, Agreed. you know, an NFL player, like any, anybody can be silently going through what you're talking about and, right. you, know, you know, important to, to reach out, uh, talk to your friends. I know this is a national uh, suicide prevention month, I think. So I'm right. um, important for, for everybody to, to take that advice, man. So, um, I, I know you, you were known for your speed, obviously, mm-hmm. but what, what are your, what are your fastest uh, times like in 40? I know the 100 out of high school, you were way up there. Do you remember your fastest times? And was there any, did you ever come across anybody that beat you in a race? Like as far yeah. as on a team you were on? Uh, Ty Hill. Ty Hill was uh, another guy at uh, Clemson. Yeah. Uh, uh, also another first round pick and a track guy. Uh that we like, he beat me a couple times, and I would beat him. Like we would always go back and forth with each other in the hundred and two hundred. Uh, so that was a that was always a good race to see. Uh, never got to run against Aries Curry, another guy that I wouldn't mind running. Another Clemson guy. Uh, I think all of us came out of school around the same time. If not, I think there was a year ahead of me. So, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, I, I ran up, you know, four three two. I think at the combine, uh, ten three one in high school. So, I mean, I, I've run some fast times and uh, still got a, you know, a couple of records. I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, I beat the 100 meter record in South Carolina, but I didn't do it at the state meet. And I want to say my guy, Stephen Davis uh, still got it. If I'm not mistaken, I think he had it when I was, when I was coming out of, of high school at the time. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, cool. Cool. So uh, obviously we were talking. You said you're still a big Gamecock fan. I am. Got the Gamecock hat on right now. You said you do some tailgating. You watch every game. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know? Let's go big picture. What, what's your impressions been so far? Obviously, Coach Beamer trying to put his stamp on the program right now. Right. Um, they're three and two right now. Five five games into the new Shane Beamer era. What are Troy Williamson's thoughts on uh, what you've seen so far, man? My this is it's kind of hard to to pinpoint on, you know, you know, one or two things, but I look at it, you know, I think we're headed in the right direction. I feel like what's going to help our quarterbacks and, you know, the receivers be able to get more balls is that we got so many running backs that straight legit that <laughs> I think we just going to have to find one that we're going to be able to have to ride and get him in that, in that uh, rhythm and, and, and ride him until, we can open up the passing game, and uh, I forgot number twenty-one's name. Uh, Juju McDowell. Yeah, he seems like he can line up at receiver. He seems like he can line up anywhere. He's a nice shifty back. He uh, and and I feel like if you put the ball in his hands a few times with you know reverses and screens, that'll be that that open up the game or our offense a whole lot. Now defense, I think our defense is is right right where we need it to be, uh, as far as uh, you know, putting pressure on the quarterback, making big plays. I want to say we got a DB right now that's probably uh, tied in first with interceptions, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yeah. So we, I think we're headed in the right direction on defense also. 
but it's going to give uh, Coach Beamer, uh, you know, a couple of years, hopefully a year or two to uh, get it right and put us in the right direction. Big game coming up this weekend, uh, kind of a swing game, Tennessee at Knoxville. Um, hey, so what, what was the what's the loudest stadium? Do uh, you, you remember one in particular? What was the loudest atmosphere you ever played in? I think it might have been Florida because how Florida is set up, it's either Florida or LSU because how Florida is set up, they have it to where they're so close to you. Uh, it's just it's just crazy. Like I'm sitting in the chair now, and they like right on your neck. So I mean that that might have been one of the loudest. And I know LSU was pretty pretty loud also. Awesome, Troy, man. We really really appreciate the time today. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Would love to have you back on the show at some point in the future. And okay. um, man, uh, great to catch up. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Awesome. Thanks. That, of course, uh, former South Carolina wide receiver Troy Williamson. We appreciate Troy joining us, Chris. And uh, I told you, man, I got in the question about the uh, the 99 yarders. There you go, man. Yeah, good stuff from Troy for sure. And uh, glad, glad he's doing well. Had a heck of a career. I, I do. I, I, was, I was glad that he said – hey, I made the right decision at the time to leave before Spurrier, but I do sometimes catch kind of catch himself wondering, what could I have done in Spurrier's offense? I wonder the same thing. That would have been something else. But, uh, hey, we'll never know. What what could he have done in Spurrier's offense, man? I, you know, how, how about Spurrier in classic Spurrier fashion? His pitch is, you know, yeah, you, you can be a first-round pick now, but you can be the first pick – if I coach you, because you, you right. know that was Spurrier coming in at the peak of his just, you know, my offense is going to go up and down the field. Doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Doesn't matter anything. We're going to come in. We're going to throw this thing around. This is before they adjusted to the, you know, spread spread it out a little bit more and, and run the zone read type thing. This was the, you know, the traditional Spurrier scheme that, that he was running there at the beginning. So, you know, he was watching Troy's speed and, and sort of thinking that, uh, there's a lot I could do with this guy. Yeah, he was thinking it was going to be, you know, 95, 96 Florida with uh, <laughs> throwing him out there, no doubt about it. Blake, Blake Mitchell to uh, to Troy Williamson, huh, would have been the the deal there. Um, yep. So let, let's hit a recruiting question here, man. I know, Chris, you, had, you have an update on the Insiders Forum on your latest Insider Report. Derek P. with a timely question. Any chance that South Carolina gets Jamari Lyons over Florida today? Um, I don't want to say no chance, but Chris, I would say slim chance. Is that is that a fair way <laughs> that we could categorize that? Yeah, and keep in mind, uh, you know, two fifty on a Wednesday here. We're, we're live, so uh, six p.m. Eastern here on Wednesday. The six is when Lyons is going to announce his choice. If you happen to catch this later, uh, that's why. But, yeah, South Carolina has made a nice run at it. I think the communications continued this week. Uh, they've done a really nice job with him, got him on campus for an official this summer, had him in for the Kentucky game. But, look, Florida's the in-state school. They've been named as the leader in the past by Jamari. Gators are going to be kind of tough to beat here, and I think that would be the expectation for today. Now, whether or not something may change, the communication may still be there going forward. We'll have to see. But Lions knows some guys on that team, has some good relationships. He's an in-state kid. A little bit of a tougher pull for the Gamecocks, which is 
you know, unfortunate because it's a guy they would really love to add to the class. Uh, but we'll see where things go. But I, I agree that that's Florida would be my pick there right now. Yeah, and we we kind of knew that. We said that even coming into that official visit, and it was sort of I think we framed it correctly, man. That hey, he's taking the official. You swing, right? If you're South Carolina, you keep swinging. You give it a shot. But, uh, you know, chances there were, were fairly slim, I, I think. And now going into it, um, you know, no indications that we've received that things have changed, that, you know, since it's kind of been – you know, he's even publicly said in the past that, that Florida was in the lead and had South Carolina as his top two, you know, sort of rounding out the top two. So we'll track it, but likely going to be Florida. Patrick wants to know if uh, Troy ever comes back to South Carolina. Patrick, he mentioned to me that he does some tailgating. So I I took that to mean, yes, he, he is back around. I, I don't know if I've seen him, you know, on the sidelines or anything like that, but uh, he mentioned to me he does some tailgating. As you saw, he had his Gamecock hat on. I asked him before we recorded because I wasn't going to ask him about the team if he didn't watch the team a, a ton because some, some of the guys – stay really into it. Some of the guys, for whatever reason, just don't. You know, they you know they just have other things going on. Troy is still very much a big-time Gamecock fan and, and, and follows the team pretty closely. Somebody asked, uh, Travis asked, does he have any kids close to college with his speed? I don't know how old his kids are. I do know he obviously has kids. Don't know how old they are. Um, but, man, I, I remember when he came out of Silver Bluff, the, the speed, dude. Speed is uh oh yeah it's impressive man. You you want to you want to make Ty Adams happy? I was about to say I didn't have my comments pulled up, but I figured he was really jonesing to hear about Dead Soxie, as everyone should be here on the show. Here you see it if you're on YouTube, as you should be, deadsoxy.com and GamecockCentral.com. So if you want to check out their college line of socks, they have socks that are kind of based on many different school colors and things of that nature. But since you're on GC Live, you probably want to check out the Gamecock ones, right? So check those out. Go to their college section on deadsoxy.com. That's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. If you're not in the mood for those, hey, go check out all of the uh, extensive selections that they have, men's, women's, athletic, all sorts of stuff. And get 25% off of your order with the promo code COCKY. That's deadsoxy.com. Interesting thing that we're mentioning Silver Bluff right now. There's actually a kid who uh, was at South Carolina over the weekend, Chris. Trayvon Dunbar. Yep. Uh, Silver Bluff kid, running back. Don't know if he's Ken Detroit at all, but I, I hear a lot of good buzz about this kid, man. He's a young guy. The recruiting hasn't, like, taken off yet, sort of blown up. But some people I talk to that I respect their opinion a great deal think this kid – um, you know, is going to be a, a sort of high power five guy. Yeah, has has a chance to have you know some high level offers. Carolina got a good look at him uh, this summer in camp. Once camps open back up, they saw him. We saw him there. He did a nice job from what I saw. Had a hugely productive year last season. Uh, don't know his updated stats this year, but I know last year he racked up the numbers and frequently wasn't even in the game in the second half. Uh, was coached at Silver Bluff. Uh, by actually a former college running back. And so he had, you know, very, very good things to say about Trayvon and definitely a guy to watch there and a guy that Carolina is on in the sense of they have not offered, 
but definitely know about him and are, are looking at him. Yeah, Trayvon was at the game Saturday. I uh, spoke with him briefly, said he had a great time. So we'll we'll keep tracking him, one to keep an eye on. Chris, let, let's talk about the coordinators. We That is the literally first word of this episode's uh, title. We haven't spoken really one word about them other than to say that they talked today. So, and, and there's a reason for that. It wasn't a newsy-type press conference. I will say the one somewhat newsy-type thing was, uh, you know, Clayton White was asked who will start at safety with R.J. Roderick out. He didn't give you an answer as far as who will actually start, but he said basically it will be Jalen Dickerson or Jamar Brown. Both guys have rotated at that uh, that number one spot, and uh, obviously Roderick can can be back in there after the after the half in the second half. I thought it was interesting when he said that. Basically, he told RJ, "Hey, what watch for the entire first half? Um, as in, don't just stand over there. Watch what they're doing. Use it to your advantage." And uh, and Clayton White said, "Hey, no matter what happens, we look for a positive lining. The silver lining to the fact that you can't play the first half." is you get an entire half worth of their plays to watch and get a feel for what they're doing, and uh, you can go in the game and, and and not sort of be caught off guard for that. So I thought that was interesting. We'll see, obviously, on Saturday which of those guys truly gets to start. Any, anything from Satterfield that uh, that caught your attention, Chris? There were actually, while there weren't any newsy items, like you said, I mean, there were a few things that did catch my attention. I think one was just something we've hit on several times, and that was – the almost extreme ownership of of what the offense is doing. I think that's something that Satterfield, White, Beamer, Limbo, they all do. Like, and I think particularly Beamer and Sat. And one reason for that, Wes, is because more of the spotlight has been on the offense because of the struggles. And so they're asked more questions about why they're struggling. And both of those guys, head coach and coordinator, are quick to put it on themselves. I thought he even gave some specifics about it. He talked more about some of the things in the run game as to why they haven't been working. Um, but he also explained some of the, you know, reasons for not passing or not running the ball in certain situations. He said a couple of them, a couple of the situations where we, you know, had gotten to midfield or across midfield against Troy were kind of on me. He said, I wanted to take a shot down there. So he took a shot, didn't hit, ran the ball in second down you know, didn't, didn't move the chains on third down. So I thought that was interesting, not newsy, but just kind of a continuation of what we've seen. He also talked some about Luke Doty's foot and in a couple of different ways. One of them was that Satterfield actually said that he envisioned this team being under center more um, originally, and that has not happened as much. And one of the reasons for that is it makes sense when you're in the shotgun, you got a guy in Luke Doty that you're still trying to get up to game speed and coming off a major foot injury and a month long recovery. You know, you, when you're under center, you're crouched down, you're taking a bunch of drops back when you're in shotgun, you're not doing that as much. So, um, will we see more of that? Maybe so from a formation standpoint, will we see Luke Doty run more from what Satterfield said he wants him to from what Luke Doty said earlier today? Uh, or when Luke Doty spoke, he mentioned that he feels like he's kind of ready to get unleashed a little bit in that regard. So a couple of little interesting things that I, I took away from Satterfield's talk today. Yeah, complete ownership, as you said, man. He, you know, he kept he's like, hey, we as coaches, it is on us to put them in a position to succeed. Um, 
I don't, I don't ever have a problem with a coach taking shots down the field, though. I think, you, you know, you have to do it. Does it always work out for you? No. But, um, you know, I, I do think it seems to me in this, I have not charted this at all, at all, y'all. So maybe dangerous to even say it. But it feels like whenever South Carolina throws on first down, which I think we saw them throw a bit more on first downs, uh, which I think is good. It helps open things up. Um, and then it, if it misses and it's second and 10, if they run the ball on second down, it seems like teams are sort of really keying in on that because that that's traditionally an old school philosophy. If you throw on first down, OCs would say, well, we have to run it on second down to try and make this third down more makeable. Um, now you look at Spurrier for, you know, 11 plus years here. It always felt like if he went play action on first down and it didn't hit, he was going to go right back to the third game on second down as well. Now, then you end up sometimes in third and 10, but you you just live with that. Like you almost just look at that sequence of downs in that it might be three throws, uh, which is fine. I, I also thought it was interesting that he said he, Clayton White, and Pete Limbo all meet on Mondays and talk about game flow. He didn't use the word game flow, I don't think, but that's what, I, that's what I'm saying because I think all these fall under game flow categories, whether, um, you know, where do you feel comfortable with your kicker kicking it from? From a defensive standpoint, how how much do you feel like the offense needs to possess the ball? Obviously, you'd love for the offense to go up and down the field, the defense to get a three and out every time, uh, you know, perfect world. But as far as some games, time of possession for the offense may not be a real factor. Other games, I got the impression this game going in, being able to possess the football is going to be important for for South Carolina. Make some first downs. Don't just rely on explosive plays. Something that, you know, we saw them do a bit better job of against Troy. You know, there's maybe some finger pointing from the fan base, I think. But to me, it felt like both coordinators – we're still very complimentary of the other. Like Clayton White even said, uh, you know, yeah, the, the offense may have wanted to score some more points, but he's like, we appreciated it from a defensive standpoint that they were able to stay on the field a bit more against Troy. He's like, that that let us make several changes mm-hmm. um, on the fly by just having that, what he called sidelines time in between drives. So we, we've heard Beamer talk about that on Tuesday staying on the field on offense. Now we hear Clayton White talk about it. We know that's something they talk about each week as far as w- what's the priority going to be from from the offense. Uh, it's going to have to be a priority this week, I would imagine. Yeah, and they're going to have to convert. You know, it's probably not going to be good enough this week, Wes, just to say, well, the offense moved the chains. They stayed on the field. They possessed the football. They need to go score points this week because I don't think against Tennessee – especially given some of the issues we've seen South Carolina have and sometimes mask on defense. If they're exposed a little bit this week, Tennessee takes care of the football on offense, then there could be some issues, and that could lead to some scoreboard issues <laughs> for South Carolina. So uh, that means they're going to have to not only possess the ball but score some points. And look, you know, Clayton White talked about that. With Tennessee's offense, the way they run it, you know, it is difficult to make adjustments – on the fly during a series even. It's harder to get calls in. Guys have to be very cognizant. If they make a big play, he said, we can't get up and have a five-second elaborate celebration. You need to, you know, 
get up, focus. You can celebrate when you get off the field on third down. Uh, but but that does mean it's important, right, for South Carolina to be able to sustain drives on offense because Tennessee, they're right back out there. They're fast and furious on offense. So uh, you don't want them sequencing all those plays together. And they can score. They can put together some plays. They can run the football. South Carolina is going to have to counter not only by staying on the field but actually scoring some points this time and something they've struggled to do in terms of, um, you know, taking advantage of good field position and converting touchdowns. No doubt. All right, so that's going to do it for today's show. Um, I'm going to ask wherever you're watching the show or listening to the show, please uh, hit the old like button, especially if you're on YouTube. That helps uh, the algorithm uh, push our show to the top. And um, appreciate Troy Williamson for joining us earlier today. Appreciate all of you for listening, watching, and commenting on the show here live or if you're watching after the fact. We appreciate that as well. And we appreciate all of our sponsors, uh, Dead Soxie, Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, and, of course, Primal Gourmet uh, for making the show possible. Um, Y'all are awesome. We appreciate you. We'll be back. Um, Chris, we got a Tennessee guest tomorrow? Tennessee guest, yes. Austin Price from VolQuest.com is going to join us about 2.15 Eastern and talk about the Vols, what's going on there in this matchup. All right, 2.15. You heard it. Austin Price, VolQuest.com. For Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you then. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.